Hi, I'm Tish. I'm Juliana. And this is episode 42 of In the Movies. It's a bit of a special episode this week. It's going to be our recording from our Ottawa Comic Con panel. (laughs) Panel, podcast panel. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's called Because We Wear Glasses, Women in STEM on Screen. And we presented it on Friday, May 11th. Yeah. At Comic Con. So, I just recorded it with my phone, but I think it sounds pretty good, so hopefully you can hear everything. Yeah, the questions at the end, too. Yeah. Did a good job. Anyway, yeah. uh, Enjoy that. It's basically a podcast, but more scripted. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How do you separate just a movie from everything you know about the movie? Just because a movie has the trope in it doesn't mean you can't love the film female characters that we do get, every single one of them is important and has character. That is LGBT representation, like, in a nutshell. We've reached the end of film technology. Hi, I'm Tish. (laughs) I'm Juliana. Uh, Today we're going to take a look at the representation of women working in the STEM field. So that's science, technology, engineering, and math. Thank you very much, sir. This is great. I'm being waited on. Sorry, I forgot to turn them off. That would help. There we go. Hello. I do not work in STEM, in case you can't tell. And we're going to look at the representation of that in movies and television. Yeah, it's a big topic, so we're going to focus on three case studies, Orphan Black, Hidden Figures, and The Big Bang Theory. So we ourselves are really in no way qualified to lecture you about uh, film theory or STEM, uh, except that we watch a lot of movies and talk about them on our podcast. Yeah, we've been doing our podcast in the movies for three years now, and when we began, we had no angle or agenda But as we continued to do episodes, it became clear we wanted to focus on women, representation, and diversity of all kinds, because that's what we care about. So even though we are not women scientists, we do care about how women scientists are represented in our media. Yeah, we chose this topic for our panel as STEM careers, specifically the women working in them, have been getting more attention lately, especially because of hidden figures. People have been writing and talking about women in STEM now and in history, and there have been efforts to encourage younger girls' interest in STEM all over the world. So we wanted to join the conversation and bring it to new people in the language that we understand, movies and TV. Does anyone here actually work in a STEM field? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Hopefully we don't embarrass ourselves or you (laughs) with this talk. Uh, If if anyone has any questions, there will be hopefully time at the end also. Yep. So let's start with a quick crash course on what we mean by representation and diversity as they intersect and we're going to talk about them a lot. When we talk about the representation of women, we are talking about the quantifiable things like the number of characters, screen time of characters, diversity like race, LGBT, etc of the women scene, and the same can be done with the people behind the camera. But representation is more than just the fact that there is a human woman represented on screen. We as viewers take in the less definable aspects of characters, like uh, her personality, the quality of her character development, her use in the plot, her interactions with other characters. This is why you'll hear us talk about realistic women on screen, because blonde bikini bimbo number two does not feel the same to us as an interesting, complex main character who might even be something other than straight, white, and thin, if that's possible. Um, how many women here have felt like completely represented by a character you've seen in like the last year of blockbuster movies? 
Yeah? Who did you identify with? Um, I can't think of like a specific moment, but I know that I have felt connected. Like you've seen yourself, you felt you've seen yourself on screen. That's good. Um, it is pretty rare, um, and it's often, not to assume anything about you, but straight white women are most of the women we see on screen. Um, so when we talk about diversity, um, representation and diversity go hand in hand. Uh, diversity can mean more than the things like race, class, disability, LGBT+, that are often included in the statistics about diversity. There's also diversity of character. We need to see all of those areas of diversity in our characters of educated women and street smart women, mothers, wives, and single women, good-intentioned women, and evil women, all in various careers and jobs. Just seeing a black woman on screen does not check off all black women as represented. We see ourselves in more than just how a character looks. We see ourselves in her personality, her life choices, her intentions and actions, and we want to see more. So that's what we mean when we talk about representation and diversity. So I'm just going to do a quick catch-up to get us to today's media and the three case studies we're going to talk about. Uh, just a quick look at women's roles on screen throughout history. So if we go back to kind of the beginning of film and the silent era, women were actually more involved at all levels of the industry at this time than they have been ever since. Some of the biggest stars were women, like Mary Pickford and Lillian Gish. The best screenwriters were women, and even some of the first and the highest paid directors were women at the time. Women even owned their own film studios. And it's when talkies came out, money started to be poured into the industry that women really got pushed out of these industry positions, and all the control that they had over story and character development kind of went out the window with it, and the male gaze really took over a woman's image on screen. So, uh, sorry. <laughs> women were subject to male domination and control, and since people believed that women were demure and passive creatures, it, wasn't, it just reflected that on film. And screen heroines became even more subservient to male imper imperatives than they had in earlier film. The I in identity for men always remained central and women's narrative went out the window. In the 1950s, uh, cinema began to be mass entertainment for the population and Hollywood really helped to instill the ideologies of the time. Uh, we kind of had Doris Day versus Marilyn Monroe as the two very separate but very specific acceptable forms of womanhood. Uh, the idea of the nuclear family really gained popularity in the 1950s and was promoted through film and uh, I ideal gender roles were enforced. So you had women on screen that were mothers and wives that took care of children, put dinner on the table all while looking good. This is kind of the more Doris Day side of things. And you had Marilyn Monroe, overtly sexual, kind of goes with her name. We all have the image of her when we say her name. And these were kind of the two male ideals of woman, and it's the only thing that you saw on screen with not a lot of diversity in between. And it shows just again how women's roles on screen reflect women's roles in society. With the second wave of feminism, we started to get some more quantifiable studies on women. This included women in film. And there's a study in the 90s that looked at the top grossing, 100 grossing films between the 1940s and the 1980s and only 36% of the characters were women in them. And that's not great, but what's worse is that that hasn't changed a lot since then. And a more recent study shows that only 41% of characters on broadcast television are women. 
This is pretty much unchanged through the last decade, and it seems to be at odds with what we consider breakthroughs in television. People like Shonda Rhimes is a great example. She's done great things. Um, um, but it's, we're holding it up to the yardstick of film, which tends to be even more inhospitable for women and minorities. Yes? Just, just as a, does that include like extras or is it actual speaking part? It's generally speaking roles. Yeah. yeah. I also like to mention uh, Audrey Hepburn in the 50s did a movie called The Woman's Hour, and it was one of the first lesbian movies. It was, yeah. Is that The Children's Hour? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was based on the play. It's, it's actually really good. Everyone should go see it. Yeah. <laughs> I am talking, I will admit, in generalities here. Uh, so with that being said, we're going to take a look at a show that we feel bucks a lot of the trends and gives women a lot of diverse character in Orphan Black. Yay. So Orphan Black is a BBC radio show co-created by John Fawcett and Graham Manson. It's five seasons aired from 2013 to 2017. The series stars Tatiana Maslany as Sarah Manning and several other clones. Sarah is our way into this world. She sees a woman who looks identical to her kill herself at a train station and then takes it upon herself to investigate, which leads her to Allison and Kasima, two other clones who are also trying to figure out what is going on. Throughout the series, layers upon layers are revealed of this huge cloning experiment, how it began, who's doing it, who's controlling it now, and other factions of this huge organization, and in the end, a near cult-like group following some pretty crazy scientific beliefs. Um, but So how many of you have seen Orphan Black or are familiar with it? Awesome. Um, I will try not to spoil too much. I'm just going to talk about the character's development a bit, though, and maybe a few secrets that are revealed, but uh, I'll try not to talk about the final season, because Juliana hasn't even seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. I'm way behind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but I want to talk about how these women, though most of them genetically identical, create the kind of representation I was talking about, diversity of character. And of course, how the show represents the relationship with science that all these diverse women have. So aside from the obvious that there are just a lot of women on this show, what stood out to me about the representation is that they are all very flawed. Uh, most of the clones are fighting for this noble cause to uncover the truth, save their own lives, protect their sisters, but they mess up all the time, and they make poor decisions that backfire, and they get persuaded away from their goal. They have their own personal issues outside of Clone Club, um, and this show might just be a mystery-solving sci-fi drama if it was full of men, but it's not, and it's, uh, it's not just about the sci-fi and the conspiracy. It's so much about these women and their lives, um, not just the clones, but their families, and all the women in various areas of this big clone experiment. It's uh, all the women's differences and their similarities that make them relatable real characters. Of the five main clones, it's easy to get, it's easy to give each a defining personality trait or lifestyle definition to differentiate them, but as we get to know them, we see how similar they all are. So we start with Allison being introduced as the suburban housewife stereotype, but she's not the only mother. Sarah, who is introduced as a bad mother, goes on to be a fierce protector of her daughter. And later, Helena, the clone we think of as the most different from the others, being raised by a religious extremist to assassinate all the other clones, uh, also becomes fiercely maternal with Sarah's children and Allison's children, and then her own when she becomes pregnant. And Cosima, our token scientist of the clones, is not the only smart, logical one of the group. Uh, they all have their moments of brilliant ideas and varying degrees of scientific understanding. Even Crystal, who is an over-the-top dumb blonde stereotype, uh, turns out to be a very capable investigator. So 
it's so often that when a group of women is portrayed on screen that they each have to be this very defined cookie cutter archetype. So um, never having like inner conflict or life events similar to each other. It's as if this group of four women have to represent all of womankind. So they have, each have to have their own range of problems so that like everyone gets covered. Um, and that's not what it's like in real life. We women are actually very similar. And uh, that's part of um, like what makes the bond so great. And Orphan Black says you can be a mother and a wife and a warrior and a scientist and a lover and a sister. And you can change from an assassin to an ally, from neglectful to protective, from evil to good, or at least maybe neutral, Rachel. Uh, as for other diversity, uh, yes, the show is very white. Uh, most of the characters are genetically identical, so there's not room for race diversity there. And considering when this cloning experiment started, even now, but especially back in like 70s, 80s, they would definitely have only chosen from a white person to do this experiment. Um, but within the clones, we do see a couple of queer clones and a transgender clone, and there is race diversity in among the rest of the cast and even more queer characters. And we have young clone Charlotte born with a physical disability. So it doesn't hit every point of diversity with an A+, but we are getting great diversity of character in the women. To bring the science to this sci-fi, the show has Cosima Herter as their science consultant. Yes, the character of Cosima is named after her. Cosima, the real person, uses her PhD in the science and philosophy of science, technology, and medicine to help make the fictional science of Orphan Black believable. For example, she had to create a disease for the clones to have, so she pulled from real research and real diseases to describe something that sounded real. It had to be caused by genetics, so all the clones would have it, and they specifically wanted it to affect female reproductive organs, but then they needed some aspect of it that would like look cool on screen. So she based it on a real disease that starts in the uterus and uh, turns into respiratory problems so that they got some cool coughed up blood to show that they were sick. Um, and that's what integrating real science with science fiction looks like. Real science in medicine isn't always TV friendly. It's not always visual enough or dramatic enough. So when science meets creativity, you get some pretty intriguing science fiction. And the science and the medicine on the show is also unique in that it is focused on women's health. In an interview about her job on the show, Cosima Herter made the point that women's health is under-researched and underfunded compared to diseases that affect only men, like prostate cancer gets a lot of funding. But a disease like the clones have would be unprecedented, not just because it's a weird disease only clones have, but uh, because Cosima, the character, and the other scientists and medical professionals would have very little relevant research to draw from to help them create this cure. So it's not only women doing the science and medicine, but the work is focused on women. Uh, and of course, Cosima, working on her clone disease cure, is not the only woman scientist or medical professional on the show. Cosima is, after all, just a student when this clone stuff takes over her life. On the other side of the experiment, we have Susan Duncan and Virginia Cody being the leaders of the two clone projects, Lita and Castor, which, when this whole experiment was starting in the 70s, 80s, would have been even more unusual for women to be given these power positions on a major project that was going to last decades, if not a lifetime. And with them, we get to see, again, more interesting diversity of character. They're both corrupted by power and have questionable morals, and one seems obviously worse than the other, but neither is painted as just an evil queen stereotype with no redeeming qualities or no reason for it. They're interesting characters to see um, and brings to the show a lot to the show to see their motives revealed over time. Um, another woman in science we have is Delphine, 
who gets involved from the Neolution branch. With her, we get to see someone caught up in questionable science and see how her views change and how she navigates this world as almost a double agent, uh, working to help the people she cares about, but also caring about the science. And there are also plenty of women seen in uh, science labs and performing medical procedures when statistically, as Juliana said, there's usually more men than women seen in any type of workplace on screen. Orphan Black brings science and medicine to the screen, blending real known science and the future science that people are currently working on. And it does all that with women. Women leading projects, women putting in the work, and focusing the work on women's health. Um, to go the other way, uh, sometimes completely fictional science and technology from sci-fi eventually becomes real. Things like touchscreens, 3D printing, various communicators and computer technology um, from movies and TV shows like Star Trek were all on screen before they were developed in some way in real life. So the relationship between STEM fields and movies and TV has a long history of influencing each other. And unfortunately, women have been historically left out of STEM both on screen and off. Even more frustrating is that history all but erases the major contributions women in STEM have made over time. But we're starting to make up for that with movies like Hidden Figures, um, bringing us the stories of women in STEM from history and encouraging women's interest in STEM careers today. So I'm going to take a quick look at the recent hit film Hidden Figures with you, the representation of women in color, of color in STEM, and also how history presents real women in STEM on screen. So uh, first you'll notice I'm white, so when I'm talking of women uh, of color in STEM, I am coming from a place of privilege, obviously. Oh, thank you. I thought I did it. Uh, how many of you have seen Hidden Figures? Everyone, pretty much? Yeah. I kind of figured. Anyone who hasn't seen it, this is your spoiler alert. It came out in 2016. It was written by Alison Schroeder and Theodore Melfi. He also directed Hidden Figures. And it was based on a book by Margot Lee Shutterfly. She's the one that did the research and studied up on all these women. They adapted it from the novel. Uh, the film would go on to really great box office success, which is so important to prove that like women and women of color can be a draw at the box office. That's the only way we'll get more stories about them. And critical success, it was nominated for three Academy Awards. Uh, so Hidden Figures, quick overview since we've, most of us have seen it, tells the story of three women of color working for NASA at the beginning of the space race of the U.S. trying to get a man to space before Russia. Um, it's based on the real extraordinary lives of these women. They all started out as human computers, pretty much doing the calculations behind the scenes. Dorothy Vaughn would go on to become the first woman of color to supervise a department at NASA. And when computers started to come in and take over computing, she went out, she taught herself and her coworkers Fortran, which is a computer programming language. Mary Jackson got the education she needed, which she had to fight for to become the first female woman of color uh, engineer at NASA in 1958. And Katherine Johnson is an American mathematician. Her calculations were absolutely integral to the first manned spaceflight and all subsequent spaceflight of the United States. She was doing math that, as they say in the movie, wasn't even invented yet. And she is still alive. She'll be 100 August 26th. So it's really cool that she's at least been able to see her successes come to light finally after so much time. Um, quick question, how many people knew about these women before the film Hidden Figures? Okay, awesome. a couple of you, <laughs> better than I am. <laughs> um, 
with all that these women have done, I think it's pretty shocking that like, it's just a really good example of how we don't know about women's accomplishments. Uh, history has the position of generally being written by men about men and usually being white men. And women being confined to the private sphere for so much of history kind of got left out. Uh, women weren't really permitted to enter the social sphere and they were confined to the home and domestic work. So there's little to no record about a lot of women's triumphs. And when we look at uh, a field like STEM that's so dominated by men, uh, even accomplishments that they do have tend to be overshadowed by men's accomplishments or sometimes even credited to men or peers or the group that they're working with. Uh, the classic portrayal of early 20th century women in science is less on the shoulders of giants and more over the shoulders of men, dutifully in the background. Most of us know names like Albert Einstein or Thomas Edison, but we don't know names like Alice Ball, who was the first woman, not just woman of color, to attend what would uh, be the University of Hawaii. She came up with the idea to um, inject a solution into people for leprosy that was uh, the best treatment they had until they came up with the cure in the 40s. Or people like Mary Eliza Mahoney, she was the first woman of color to be a actually professionally certified to do her nursing job and that paved the way for all the women behind her to get the education. Uh, we don't even know about people like Tamika Cross. This is a doctor in 2016. She was denied the chance to help a passenger in distress on her Delta flight because they didn't believe that she was a doctor because seeing a woman and especially a woman of color succeed even in today's culture is still considered shocking. Uh, when we look at the film Hidden Figures, it's important to remember that although it's based on real people, obviously it's an adaptation, some things have been altered or exaggerated. And we see this with the character Jim Parsons plays of Paul Stafford. He was not a real person, but he's used to really represent the racism and sexism of the time. And Kevin Costner's character wasn't a real person either. He's kind of an amalgamation of all of the NASA directors that were there during Katherine Johnson's time at NASA. And uh, it was really interesting reading some of what Margot Lee Shutterfly had to say because Katherine Johnson said she didn't experience the racism quite as overtly when she was at NASA. She often felt treated like a peer, but you could feel the racism kind of just underlying everything that happened. And I think they really brought the racism into the workplace to show like what society at the time was also like for these women. The ideas of the segregation though were pretty true to fact. We see this most with Mary Jackson. She had to fight to get education. Jim Crow laws were still in effect. Segregation was still in effect in Virginia at the time. She had to go to court in order to be allowed to attend the only class that was only offered at this school that was only for white people in order to become an engineer. Luckily, she won that battle. Um, one of the most iconic parts of the film is watching Katherine Johnson have to run across the entire campus just to use the washroom. It takes her like 40 minutes to get there and back just to go pee. Uh, this is not true to fact to Katherine Johnson, but it was true to fact to Mary Jackson. So when she was working in the aeronautics part, she asked some white women where the bathroom was, they laughed at her, they did not help her, and she had to run across campus to the segregated washroom in order to relieve herself at work. Uh, this also led to the women in the film kind of finding male white allies, which 
I think tends to go a little bit into the white savior mode, a little Atticus finched into Kill a Mockingbird. Kevin Costner's character kind of takes that on, but it would be nice to see them not have to do that, but <laughs> to start. Uh, the challenges for women in STEM today, especially those facing women of color, are still daunting. It's still largely not uh, dominated by men. I work in an industry that's dominated by men. I know kind of what that's like to go to work to. Uh, a study published in the Journal of Geophysical Research uh, out of 474 astronomers and planetary scientists surveyed, 40% of the women of color said they had feelings of being unsafe in the workplace due to their gender. 28% of those women said they felt unsafe due to their race. And when it came to attending professional events, 18% of women of color and 12% of white women said that they didn't attend events due to not feeling safe from their workplace. And I think things like this are really important because we're always told networking is everything. It's who you know, it's not what you know. And women, and I'm sure it's not just in STEM, but in the workplace, not feeling safe enough to go to these events is detrimental to what they can do in their career. A different study from the University of California Hastings looked at the gender bias in STEM fields and how pervasive it is and how it's compounded for women of color. Uh, the study was based on interviews with 60 women of color in STEM and a survey of 557 women. Those women were women, white women and women of color. Uh, 93% of white women said that they had experienced gender bias in the workplace, and 100% of the women of color said that they had experienced gender bias. And a really interesting note was during some of the interviews, some of the black and Latina women reported being regularly thought of to be the janitor or caretaking staff, which is shocking to me. We actually see it played out in Hidden Figures. Katherine Johnson's character is given a waste paper basket when she's led into the white male calculations room and the fact that that's supposed to be depicting how society was 60 years ago and it's still happening the exact same way today kind of shows us how little progress we've made in some places. Latina and black women also reported sometimes being afraid of coming off as too emotional or like the angry person in the office and that that sometimes led them to not being able to express their thoughts as freely. So it's it's really important to look at how we can change this. And I think seeing the women in films like Hidden Figures can really help. It inspires younger generations to go work in STEM. I can only imagine if we had seen the contributions to STEM that women have done throughout history, not be oppressed, but celebrated, that could have had an impact on today. If girls grew up admiring not just the great things that men have done, but also the great things that women have done, and saw them in films and television and represented, perhaps it could have helped with the gap of representation and diversity in STEM. And film and television really can't be underplayed as a tool of education and inspiration. We, I am so guilty of this. We do not read as much as maybe we should these days and film is used as, a, as an educational tool. It really is a lot of us watch historical or biographical pieces and we learn about history and the world that way. And if these women were all able to be represented, it would just be more examples that would encourage women seeing success to go into STEM fields. Uh, so we should take these lessons of determination and perseverance from women like Catherine, Dorothy, and Mary, not just to help transform STEM fields, but into ones that accept women and help women flourish, but also to change the entertainment industry. Because if we don't have better representation, 
then we're not going to see the change going into STEM. If we look at the Wired released uh, a study that found only 26 women with STEM jobs were depicted on screen across 5,000 speaking roles, and only three of those 26 women were women of color. Uh, a quote that I really like, because I think it's important, is women of color kind of get lost. When we talk about feminism, we're talking about white women. When we talk about people of color, we're talking about men of color. And women of color are kind of just in this in-between. And that's how history happened, and that's how today is happening. And I think we're really seeing that on screen. So we need to find a better way of discussing people facing interlocking oppressions and representing those people in our mainstream culture. Mainstream culture, like a highly popular network sitcom? That's exactly right. <laughs> like the Big Bang Theory? <laughs> um, so the Big Bang Theory has been on the air since 2007. Um, it's a sitcom centered around four geeks living in Pasadena. They all work in science and technology and are just every geeky stereotype you can think of. They're socially awkward and experienced with women and really into comics and sci-fi. And they live across the hall from aspiring actress Penny. And as the show goes on, two other women join the main cast. Um, I assume everyone knows The Big Bang Theory and has seen it. Yes, we can general <laughs> assumption. Okay. Yeah. So we admittedly have not seen the entire series. I've watched like the first five seasons all in one go. Thought it was really funny. When it came to watching the next one, I sort of dropped off. But that's more my aversion to sitcoms. Like watching one at a time is... It's like nothing happened. It's funny, but what happened in these 20 minutes? Um, but we've, I've kept up with like storylines of what's going on. I'm about the same. I probably watched the first five or six seasons, and then interest waned a little. Yeah. But we do want to talk about it because representation, it has it. It has women in STEM. It, they are main characters. They're seen working. It's part of their characters. It's part of their relationships. It drives plot points. It is there. It is there. However... <laughs> Not all representation is good representation and just having it on screen is not enough. Um, the benefits of seeing women in STEM on like a hugely popular network sitcom isn't really gonna get through to people if the show itself constantly undermines and undercuts these women. Yeah, um, well let's introduce you to the women of the Big Bang Theory so you get an idea of the representation we're talking about. So we have Penny, she's basically an actress stereotype, she's pretty but dumb, and uh, nothing in common with our main character, she's literally put across the hall to be the contrast, to be the mainstream, like normal, that our geeky guys are compared to, so we get the humor out of that. Yeah. We have Bernadette. She was introduced as Penny's friend and co-worker at the Cheesecake Factory, where she was working while getting a PhD in microbiology. Um, she's very girly. She constantly has to prove how smart she is. She's also introduced as Howard's love interest slash object of sexual affection slash mother surrogate. Kind of, <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's not really shown as being very geeky or nerdy in life other than she's in the STEM field and she's into science. Yeah, as opposed to Amy, who gets introduced as Sheldon's love interest, if you can call it that with Sheldon. Um, she's basically the female Sheldon, um, super focused on science, no life outside of it, and as opposed to Bernadette, has very masculine traits, and her journey, her character development is her interest in becoming more girly like Penny and Bernadette, and wanting to pursue a more romantic relationship with Sheldon, whereas it didn't start like that. They both were just sort of obligation dating. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
a really quick look at the four gender biases in STEM. Uh, two of these aren't, we're not gonna focus on that much. The maternal wall, which I feel is not just STEM, it's probably women in any workplace. The idea that once you have kids, trying to re-enter the workforce is really, really challenging. And also in some places, deciding to have kids makes your coworkers question you, look down upon you. Then you're just a mom, you're not considered an equal anymore. Uh, also the idea of the tug of war. This is more in a STEM field or a male dominated field. It's the idea that women really compete with each other and undercut each other because there's so few positions for women at the top that they, if there's only one position, then we have to fight each other for it. Uh, but the two I really want to talk about is the prove it again. This is the concept that women constantly have to prove themselves um, in the workplace. Men get a pass generally out of ideas like their potential, whereas women constantly have to be proving that they are doing it, they are doing it right, and they are doing it right now. We see this with Bernadette. She constantly has to remind people, like, I'm smart, I'm a scientist, I'm not just buxom and cute and adorable with a squeaky voice. She is constantly reminding the guys and the audience that she has a brain. The other one I want to discuss is the tightrope. It's the concept uh, that women in STEM fields have to walk like a really fine line between femininity and masculinity. Um, the feminine, if you're too feminine at the workplace, you can be considered a doormat and pushed aside. And if you're too masculine, you're seen as cold and hard and unkind. This is generally seen about women in all areas also, but we really see this with Amy as she's considered so cold and hard and she's really trying to like find a balance of her femininity and she's not really accepted as that being like an okay way to be a woman. So. Yeah, so we get all these gender biases in the show with the humor that the show uses, which is really based on we're geeks, we're making fun of geeks, but we are the geeks, so it's okay. The geeks still sort of end up on top, even though they're the subject of the humor. Um, so it's sort of like a self-depreciation almost. Um, the problem with the humor, though, sometimes in the show is that they try to use that same mindset for other types of jokes, like racist jokes and sexist jokes and homophobic jokes, and they think they can sort of get away with, like, making a joke about an Indian stereotype because Raj like acknowledges that that was like a racist joke. But um, the thing about comedy, I'm no comedian, but comedy is truth. Um, you're saying your truth in a funny way. So when the characters make these jokes like this, they are letting us know their truth, that they think women are beneath them or they think these things about uh, people of color. And when no one in the show speaks up against that, it just becomes the truth of the show and our world. And in a huge show like this where people are watching and not being super critical, they're just putting on a fun sitcom, this stuff just gets into the head of the sort of mainstream culture and just everyone watching. Um, and especially Sheldon. Um, he gets sort of the unspoken Asperger's pass, that so he's like allowed to be rude because he doesn't know any better, and it's funny when he's like politically incorrect, but um, he shouldn't get a pass for that. These are ideas that he has in his head. He's constantly putting down his female coworkers, and we just let it happen because it's Sheldon, but we're creating a world where these things are true within the show. And I'm always saying, media uh, influences culture and culture influences media and there's room for change in both of those so with something like this if you're not being critically minded as you're watching 
um, you're going to take in these ideas and kind of keep them in our culture, and then it's just going to get fed back into our media, and it's just going to continue. Uh, so Our main point is pretty much just to be critical of your media, to yeah. be conscious of what you're taking in. Uh, by no means do we mean don't enjoy anything. We no. watch a lot of stuff that if we, we like look Big at Bang it... like Big Theory. It was funny. <laughs> yeah. There's we watch tons of stuff that if yeah. we're looking at it from our critical point of view... Mm, I mean, we both like, like Entourage, and that's... It was funny. It's good. <laughs> so, I mean... Um, you should always still enjoy it, but if you're you're more critical and aware of what you're taking in as a media, it just helps it not kind of feed into everyday culture. Yeah, you don't have to like overanalyze like we do on our podcast, but um, yeah, just sort of the awareness of everything you're watching, whether it's sort of keeping an eye out for the bad things, like jokes like this, or keeping an eye out for like women of color in STEM, and sort yeah. of making an effort to like see those different stories and sort of get more diversity into your viewing habits. You yeah. can make that choice and support people. And we work at it, too. We always make goals for ourselves in the type of media that we're going to consume. So. Yeah, we look back and be like, we oh, failed. wow, I didn't watch very many movies of <laughs> people of color this year no. or stuff, and we sort of... But All that's... I watched was Marvel movies. <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot, yeah. Um, so that's I think it. that's about it. Thanks for coming to our panel. Oh, did anyone have questions? any questions or comments? Yeah, we have lots we... of time for questions. Yeah, we do actually have lots of time. Nothing. Uh, okay. With regards to Farrah Fowler Taylor character, yeah. yes. it, it, I find that what they've done with her is not necessarily turned her into a girly girl, but what I found is that Sheldon, her feelings for Sheldon, and for having friends like Penny, may have actually opened up a different part of her personality that she even herself didn't even realize she had. And she is probably having a conflicted time trying to come to face-to-face -face with those things. Because I completely mm. agree with your point on Bernadette. Yeah. yeah. You know, especially when you know about her past, that she's pretty much been shunted by her dad because she has all her brothers. Yeah. And she always had to look after. But I, I find, actually, the character of Amy Farrah Fowler is someone that just hey, there's this whole side of life I never thought about before. And yeah. she doesn't know how to handle it. That's yeah, fair. that's for sure. She really looks to the other women as like, she needs a guy. How, how do I do this? I, I realize I want more to life than just science that she's had. And she's not the best guy. Mm, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one should follow Penny's advice. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I would also say like that's probably to the point too is Sometimes I, I would agree with that. I think that that's a fair analysis. I would also say like she's very she's depicted as like she hasn't looked at anything but science for the first like thirty years of her <laughs> life, and so that's well, that's off, often also episode, depicted. Uh, last night you would have seen the mother and you'd see why. Oh, oh goodness. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Greg. Um, you were saying that you watched uh, a lot of Marvel movies. Yeah. So with their uh, track record with female characters, do you have high hopes for Captain Marvel? I'm excited. <laughs> um, I think I'm excited that we're finally getting a female solo film. I mean, yeah. the Black Widow movie still hasn't happened at this point, yeah. so uh, everyone else got one. Yeah. I guess not Hawkeye, but who cares? And like I said, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, um, it is you know a white woman getting the first movie, but it's a start for women in the Marvel. Yeah. Like we said, we love Marvel, but we can also be critical and be like, where, where are the ladies at? Um, Brie Larson's yeah. also awesome. I love Brie Larson, <laughs> so I'm excited. <laughs> yes. Marvel, uh, Black Panther. 
Yeah, yes. Black Panther was yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice like anomaly in the Marvel universe for sure. Yeah, and it was also it was a great movie. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It didn't feel like um like a token black movie or like the token women. You know, they shoved it in there. I haven't no, seen I Infinity War yet, but I assume they was a, bring them in well. It was a. I think Black Panther really showed like a great representation of like imagine if colonization hadn't happened <laughs> <laughs> yes so. that's the other part I know white people mess it all up yeah yes but then they talked about colonizing themselves so I mean yeah. Like, yeah I don't think it's necessarily a white versus black I think it's a human nature thing they want to be dominant no matter who's in charge yeah they definitely went into that more than just we're like this little segregated black country yeah. and it's us against white people. It was, yeah, more of a broader colonization I'm not, I'm sharing. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yes. Connecting it back to your theme that Black Panther has the teen girl sister yes. as the scientist yeah. and the engineer making, which would have been, I mean, just a few years ago, would have been Morgan Freeman as. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The old wise man instead of the young girl. Yeah. Yes, it has Letitia. Yes. <laughs> she has the same name and birthday as me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I loved her character. She wasn't just like super into science, like that was her life. She was also like just super snarky and uh, I, yeah, awesome. And I think that's why like we're starting to see um, STEM open up as like a wider diversity of characters in it on television and even including comic books, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Also, I know Arrow has Felicity. She's STEM field. Yeah, there's definitely <laughs> slowly progress being made for yeah. sure, but slow and white. Black <laughs> <laughs> agree with that and I think it's proven by like how universally that film has been felt by everybody not yeah. just people of color yeah for no. sure yeah it was um the women are so it was a so. <laughs> I feel like it was the black movie for people who needed like finally we have a whole movie to represent us um but as like everyone watching was just like this is just an awesome story about yeah, the themes the, were more the universal yeah for, for sure, sure. Should we have just talked about Black Panther? That's one of our things. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, um, I hear about the, there's been recently some controversy about this, uh, this drop plotline in, uh, in, in uh, Black Panther, the, uh, the lesbian plotline is sort of run away. I've heard a little bit about it, not a lot. Have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? 
I don't think Black Panther. I don't that there's going to be a lesbian yeah, like in Black Panther. Yeah, there's a concept that they dropped and then people are going after. They heard that thing from Bill Maher or something, mm-hmm. you know, about oh, it's such a positive movie, and a lot of people saw themselves on the screen, and now they're being sort of slightly undercut by this like female uh, angst about this thing happening, like why in this day and age would you drop the storyline? People can have more than two IDs in head at once, like more uh, diversity and also more more gender. Uh, Interesting. We will research that. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about that. I've definitely heard of stuff like that before where you hear after a movie came out that um, there was originally like an LGBT person and they sort of just dropped it. Like Valkyrie in the last Thor like is canonically bi, but they just there was like a scene that we could have interpreted of like but that's a whole other issue. <laughs> next year's panel yeah uh, I think we need to wrap up good yep yeah so if you're interested in hearing us talk more about movies we do have a podcast and women we talk about women we talk about women and movies a lot um, we're on iTunes we also have business cards if you want to grab one so you don't forget or check out this stuff that I'm sitting in front of yeah alright thanks Thank <laughs> you.